Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Cheryl. Um, I just assumed it was my own mother, uh, but it wasn't, that's, which is great. Um, I can't be embarrassed by somebody else's mum, can I? So that, that's great. Um, okay, welcome. You feel really far away. We've got a big gap here at the front, so I might edge forward as we go along. Um, Nathan will keep an eye on how far forward I get. Um, we are carrying on our series. We launched, Graham launched last week a series. We're looking at God, His Word, and His World. Um, I'm going to spend the whole of this year delving into the Bible, unpacking it, giving us some tools to, for how we read this book that God has given us. And um, today, if we were describing this as a tool, it would be something like a chainsaw. It wouldn't be very refined. It would just be very blunt, and you just plow through something quickly. Um, there we go. But what we're hopefully going to cover um, is about, well, the whole of the Bible in about 30 minutes. In fact, I'm going to take off my watch so I can see the time. Um, we're going to try and look at how the book or the series of books unfold um, and kind of try and piece together some of the big story um, so we've got, who knows how many years there are covered in this story. I'm not going to get into that debate. Um, but actually, there are about 40 different authors and 66 different books of the Bible, as we have them now. We're going to race through them. There's going to be no time for any depth, and we're not going to be able to stop and talk about any of the really juicy points. In fact, even Jesus is just reduced to about four bullet points. Now, I feel terrible for doing that, but that's, that's, what we're, that's the sort of task we've got ahead of us. So um, that's the aim. And then just in case you were worried that it was going to be really academic, um, actually, I want to explain why we're doing this. Uh, the first reason is because actually we pick up a Bible and you don't know where you are. It's not start to finish. It doesn't run nice and chronologically. Actually, it jumps about a bit and things are categorized rather than put in order. And there's lots of overlaps. So some of what we'll do is just kind of trying to put things a little bit in order. Oh. Um, the second thing is actually it takes a good amount of time to read the whole Bible and sometimes it's good to just attack it in different ways and get a different perspective and the perspective you'll get in half an hour is different to the perspective you'll get over a weekend with Alistair at the end of March and it's different to the perspective we'll get this year as we try and read the whole Bible um, hopefully you won't have forgotten the start of the talk by the time we get to the end of the talk which is what often happens when you read the Bible and I guess the thing for me, and the reason I find this really exciting, is because I just see so much more of God when I look at the big picture, when I look at the big story. God has been at work, and I think we can miss that. And I'm really excited because actually, for me, this helps me understand God and worship God better. And it should also help um, us to reveal him to other people. We can share him with other people, and I think it's really important to see his heart in that. So hopefully not an academic exercise, um, but we do have to uh, plow on. So buckle up. Let's be... Oh, very sensitive clicker. So here you go. This is how summarized we're getting. In the beginning, God creates everything, including mankind. In his image, he creates mankind in his image. And he says, everything is good. He made everything perfect. 
And he even walks with humanity. He walks with his creation. At the very beginning, his intention is close relationship. That's how he sets things up. That's his intention. And even further than that, he says, I'm going to walk with you, and I value you to the point where I will give you freedom. You have a will, and you can make choices. And also, by the way, I'm going to give you this creation I've created. I'm going to put it in your hands. You are given dominion over it. That's good. That's, that's started off well, didn't it? Next bullet point. It all goes pear-shaped. And to be honest, um, I could summarize the whole of the next couple of thousand years or millions of years, however you look at it. It goes downhill from here. The humans use their free will to make choices which have consequences. It's inevitable. When you choose to walk away from God, there are consequences because you are choosing something else. The consequences that we have in the book of Genesis is that the ground is cursed, work becomes hard, childbirth pain is multiplied, and relationships break down. That relationship, that intention that God had to walk with us is broken at that point. But also with each other, there is going to be strife with each other. Um, so that's, that's great. didn't last long. We got three, chap- three chapters in, and already things are, have gone pear-shaped. Um, but I just want to stop here, because there's also an extra line, just a, a little view forward to uh, what is to come. And actually, in the garden, as it's depicted, um, the serpent tempts uh, tempts Adam and Eve and um, the reason for the downfall is because Satan is there and he helps them to choose the wrong thing and um, God promises at that point he speaks to the serpent and says uh, the woman's offspring will strike your head and you will strike his heel and that's just this first glimpse three chapters in that not only have you really messed this up, but actually I am looking forward to a point where this will all be reversed. So that's a start, and from there um, we get just about ten chapters of Genesis where people just make bad choices over and over again, loads of bad choices, and they fall into the consequences of uh, making those bad choices, and God eventually presses the reset button, as it were, and floods the world, and Noah is his chosen one to carry on and um, I'll be honest, Noah's not great. I don't, I don't read the story of Noah and think, wow, what a guy, I can see why he was chosen. But he responded with faith. And then about 900 years after that, um, Abram is called. Again, plucked out of relative obscurity, but God calls him. And his calling to him is really interesting and relevant because it reveals something of God. He says, go from your country, your people, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. That's the first thing. And I will bless you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Just hold that. It's God's intention to bless all people. So Abraham, um, who later gets renamed Abraham, um, obeys and has eventually has a son and then a grandson and um, Jacob his grandson 
is renamed Israel, and he has 12 sons. Let's, let's pick up some speed. Um, those 12 sons end up moving to Egypt, uh, Egypt, and over the next few hundred years, this family multiplies drastically into a couple of million people. Um, they are in Egypt, but they're not welcome there. They are slaves to the Egyptians. And um, God hears their cry, and he has mercy on them, and he calls Moses. Um, again, not a, great, not a great person all in all, um, but it does amazing things through Moses. Incredibly flawed, in fact, but he does. Moses obeys God and leads the people out of Egypt with some big-time help. Um, let's just leave it there. Um, and he leads them out of Egypt, but they have nowhere to go. So they're in the wilderness now. And um, in the wilderness, God gives his people the law. Sounds really boring. Actually, it's amazing. You've got a nation of people, and God's intention is to speak to how they live. And he says, I want you to live well. Um, he creates a covenant with them. He actually says, if you do this, if you do certain things, I will be with you. I will bless you. At that point, why? Why? Why would God do that? What has he to gain from it except to love and know this people and for them to be a blessing to the whole world? So absolutely amazing. That covenant um, is referred to over the next sort of thousand or so years repeatedly and actually is um, the standard that uh, God calls them to time and time again. Um, however, let's just say that the people of Israel aren't particularly taken with, well, with God, to be honest. Um, if you read the story, they don't, they don't stay positive despite seeing all that he's done. Uh, they quickly grumble, they quickly moan, and um, as a result, what should have taken about 11 days to get from Egypt to their, the promised land actually takes 40 years. And in that time, God effectively allows a whole generation to die. And that generation carries with it all of the things they did wrong and actually says, again, my intention is to start again. Let's take this new group of people into this promised land that I have given them. I'm jumping around a bit. I feel like we're skimming the surface, so I apologize if you're losing track, but try and keep up. And um, Yeah, it's just the way it has to be. So, so we get to this place where um, Moses and the people of Israel are stood at the edge of what is the promised land, and Moses, um, who has led them all this time, um, passes on the baton to Joshua. And um, that's where we get the book of Joshua. It comes after the book of Exodus. And, and actually, Joshua is not fun reading, I'll be honest. It um, actually should provoke some questions. It should cause us to wrestle. It's not easy to understand how God can wipe out whole groups of people. Um, for his chosen people. Um, again, we don't have the time to talk about all of that in detail, but I would just point you to Genesis 15, um, where it talks about the, the sins of the nations being full, and um, 
And actually, there's just a sense that uh, the nations that were in this land, actually, they were just evil. Um, there was child sacrifice and all sorts of stuff. I mean, it was just horrendous. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't sort it out for me in my head and my heart. But actually, um, that's certainly part of it. Um, so so that's, that's kind of how Joshua goes. It's just lots of battles, lots of him leading the Israelites into battle and defeating people. Um, and then the second half of the book of Joshua is, is basically just reeling through who's going to have what, which bits of the land. And effect, eventually, um, he kind of carves up the land and says, this is what this tribe will have, and there's a tribe for each of Jacob's sons. Um, he carves up the land and says, this is what you'll get, and this is what you'll get. And that goes on for a fair bit. Um, and then before his death, he just reminds the people of that covenant. He says, me and my house, we're going to follow the Lord. Um, and I implore you all, the elders of Israel, to do the same. So that's kind of how he leaves it at the end of his little section. Section, as if that's a thing. His life. Okay, so then we get on to the judges. And the judges don't do very well. Um, the, you know, when Joshua handed over, he said, follow the Lord. And they all said, yeah, sure, we'll follow the Lord. And then straight away, we're into the book of Judges where they're not. They're clearly not following uh, what, Jesus had, uh, what, what Joshua had said they should do. So um, if you thought Joshua was hard reading, Judges is just brutal. Uh, it's, it's just not pleasant. Um, and, and basically, the book of Judges... Um, is a load of people who kind of step up to the plate or are called up to the plate to lead this sort of random collection of people that seem to be completely all over the place. And even though Joshua carved up the land and said, this is what you will have and this is what you will have, actually, that took a long time. Joshua didn't see that. And in reality, it was never finished. There were, there were nations all around them that actually were just a thorn in their sides. So at different points, um, different judges uh, were, were kind of called up to judge Israel, um, fend off enemies, and for long periods at some points, there was peace in Israel. Um, didn't last that long normally, but, but that's kind of how it went. Um, and just to say, you know, these people that were called to be judges... They are an absolute mess. They are an absolute mess. If you're looking at yourself and you think, oh, I could never do this because I did that once, it doesn't matter what you've done. This lot, they're just, they are so messed up. They are um, promiscuous. They, there's, there's, a, there's somebody that sacrifices their own daughter. I mean, these people are not living in what God called his people to live. And yet, somehow, God uses them. And it blows my mind to look at, to step back and look at judges and think, wow, God, you use that lot? Um, it's amazing. But unfortunately, it should be said that this is not a period of, um, this isn't a golden age for Israel by any stretch. This is, this is hard. This is hard. And actually, it's summarized a couple of times that um, in those days, Israel had no king and everybody, everyone did as they saw fit. It was just a free-for-all morally. Um, just for completion, I should just say that um, the book of Ruth is set in this period of the Judges. Um, 
just if you're reading Ruth at some point, you wonder, where are we in the story? It's at this point of complete chaos morally and, and sort of no overall uh, ruler. Um, but there's not a lot in the central story to talk about there. So then we get on to um, sort of the next period of time. So Samuel um, is the final judge. And um, the Israelites come to him and say, look, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. Let's just, let's just think back. This is a nation that is called to show God to the world, to bless the nations. And what do they want to be? They just want to be like everybody else. These guys are not getting it. This is not God's intention. Um, but God sort of yields and he says, fine, this is their choice. They are free to choose. And he constantly gives people choice and, um, and says, Samuel, go and anoint uh, Saul first. Tall and handsome, you know, stereotypical king. Um, a bit of a blithering idiot at times. Um, it's a bit of a theme. Um, and then eventually he anoints David, who's a shepherd boy. So not quite as, uh, not quite as obvious. Um, but he anoints David. Um, and eventually David becomes king. Um, there's so much of that story in the Bible, 1 and 2 Samuel. Just, it's just full of amazing stories there. Um, and I have kind of harshly summarized David there as a murderer and an, and an adulterer. Uh, again, it's not to sort of put him down, um, but actually he was hugely flawed again. He, he existed in this context where um, nothing was done well, and he didn't at times. He, just, he looked exactly like everybody else. And yet God used him, and yet God's grace was on him so heavily um, to the point where he was described as being a man after God's own heart. Um, it's just mind-blowing, some of the things that he wrote, some of the Psalms that David wrote. Just for me, I look at them and think, how did he write that before Jesus? Like, just the heart of God is so for his people having grace and moving forward. Um, so that's David. And, and actually, David is kind of the pinnacle, really, of the Old Testament for, the, for Israel. Um, maybe not economically, but certainly morally, this is like their high point. So, again, just to warn you, the next sort of thousand years isn't so great. Um, then we go through the sort of progression of different kings. So, um, David's son, son Solomon builds the temple. Um, but again, he's just bad choice after bad choice. And then after Solomon, the kingdom splits in two. And... Um, Essentially, over the next um, few hundred years, uh, well, a few centuries actually, um, there are various kings that take over. Um, but what happens after Solomon is the kingdom gets split in two because um, Solomon's son just messes things up big time. So you've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Both of them, after that point, have 20 kings. Um, of the northern kingdom, none of them get a, a good score. None of them are graded well. In the southern kingdom, three of them are said to meet the standard that David set. So that's, there you go. That's just a little picture there of the extent to which uh, things weren't running smoothly. People were not making choices well. Um, so inevitably, as was kind of spelled out in the covenant that God made with them, um, inevitably, uh, 
they, they ended up facing the consequences of their choices and of their, um, just the errors they made. So uh, in about 722 BC, um, the Assyrians, which was an empire um, in kind of, well, the Middle East, kind of spanned a lot of the Middle East now, um, they came and assimilated the Northern Kingdom, which essentially means uh, they came and just took a load of people out of the cities and spread them around their kingdom, and then a load of other people were brought in. And so essentially you, you, what they did is they eroded any sense of national identity, they eroded any sense of culture, any sense of um, their beliefs, and it was like a diluted-down version of Israel. Um, so that was 722 BC in the north, Judah in the south, they, they hung on a few, an extra 150-odd years. Um, but eventually the Babylonians came in and um, they hauled a load of them out. And any sort of sense of um, importance was kind of lost at that point. They, they were just a broken people and they were no longer in charge of themselves. They were under the rule of the Babylonians. Um, however, even in Babylon there were many people who sought God. And it's just worth saying that, that, you know, this is kind of feels like rock bottom. And in some ways it is. Um, But even there, people are seeking God and God is working in people. And um, eventually, um, some people come back to Jerusalem. And over the course of 100 100 odd years, we get some books, um, so Ezra and Nehemiah will spell out a lot of how some, some groups of people came back and eventually rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the city walls of Jerusalem. Um, but it should be pointed out, they were still under Babylonian rule, so this, they weren't their own people in, in, this sort of, in that sense. So, Again, just a little pointer here. The book of Esther is set somewhere in this time period. There's a bit of discussion is it the 5th century BC? Is it the 3rd century BC? Somewhere in there, um, Esther, uh, and it's just a story about, I say just, it's a story about a woman who um, uses her position close to the emperor, close to the king, to um, basically thwart an attempt to eradicate all of the Jewish people. So, fairly good going, and you can kind of lose it in the, in the narrative, the whole big picture, but that's where Esther is placed. So I just want a, a quick interlude. I'm, time is flying. Um, but sh- we should just talk about the prophets. Um, they're not really necessarily part of the main story. You won't see them there. But, but there are sort of 16 or 17 books of the Bible, which are kind of referred to as the prophets. And um, I thought I should probably mention it. So, uh, so yeah, in amongst all this failure, time and time again, and there's failure, but... Time and time again, God speaks, and he never, ever just leaves things and says, well, it's your problem, it's your fault, sort it out. He says, no, stop, do it this way, and he speaks to them. So even straight away after the, the, the chapter 4 of Genesis, um, he speaks to Cain, who is about to murder his brother, and he whispers to him, don't give in to sin. Sin's linger, lurking there. Don't give in to it. He's there. Um, with Abraham, he met him and had, had a meal with him. Uh, he wrestled with Jacob. He became a burning bush for Moses. 
Um, and he guided the Israelites as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. You know, he was not absent. He was always with them and always trying to help them to make good choices and to steer them in the right direction. Um, and in the time of uh, in the time of the kings, um, one of the key ways, probably the key way that God speaks, is through the prophets. And actually, they turn up in the story, um, but also turn up writing books, which are kind of clustered together. And um, th- these books are amazing. I must admit, I find them hard because there's all, there's a lot of stuff in there which is kind of saying, "Woe to you! You're going to die." You're going to get wiped out. You've messed up like this. And there is a a lot of that. But there's also a lot of amazing stuff. Um, And, you know, time and time again, the prophets are there speaking hope. And they're reminding the people of their covenant with God. And they're calling them up to live a better way. And um, it's it's just amazing the way that they, they do that. I mean, at the lowest point when the people are exiled you have um, prophets there speaking to them um, Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah for example he sort of says um, my plans for you are good my plan is to prosper you and you're just saying well we're in the pit of despair why are you pros- why do you want to prosper how, how? how is this going to work but that's what he speaks he all, um, God also speaks through the prophets to talk about a covenant um, and remind them, but also to say there is a new covenant. I want to place. A, I want to start something new in the future. And um, the mission, like God's intention, is never lost. God doesn't stop and say, "Well, you've messed it up. I can't use you now." Actually, He speaks to them and says, "You will be a light to the nations, and all people will be blessed through you." Um, but it's also really interesting because um, they, they look forward to Jesus. And there's so many times when they look forward to, to say, just so you know, in the future, this amazing thing is going to happen. And there's some incredible detail. Graham's going to touch on it in a couple of weeks. Way more detail than I can go into. But they just, they just point to the fact Jesus is coming. Um, so, yes, I, I felt like it was worth just mentioning um, you'll also find that it, as you read them, they're not in order um, of when they happen. They're basically in roughly size order. So the big ones come first and then the, the small ones. It, really not helpful for um, people looking, at, looking to read it and figure out where it is. So anyway, so, so come back to the main story. We're now into an age of empires. Um, the last book of the, New Test- of the Old Testament is about 430 BC. That's the book of Malachi. That's one of the prophets. Um, and then there, apparently there is nothing going on. That's how it seems. That's how the Bible puts it. Um, but God can be seen at work. And um, after the capture of Judah in 586 BC, we get, there's, there's a lot happening. Let's just put it that way. And Jerusalem and Israel is kind of in the middle of a lot of power struggles and a lot of different empires. So first of all, you had the Babylonians. They were followed by the Medo-Persians. Of course, before them was the Assyrians. And those guys basically did a really good job of picking up a load of Israelites and scattering them across sort of the Middle East and southern and eastern Europe, um, kind of eroding, as I said, eroding any sort of sense of identity that these countries had, uh, that Israel had. 
Um, they were then followed by the Greeks and um, some sort of offshoots of kind of the, the main Greek empire that you would recognize under Alexander the Great. And the Greeks, they had a, a huge empire that spread all the way across to India from Greece. Um, and that they were traders, and they, they put in place a common language. And so actually what you had is you had this hu- enormous geographical area, and everybody speaking Greek eventually. It didn't happen overnight, don't get me wrong. But actually it was the language that trade was done in. So Greek was this enormously common language. And then they were followed, as I'm sure you know, by the Romans. Uh, in 64 BC, the Romans took over, and the Romans were very organized, and they, they were, had very good legal systems, they had very good citizenship, and actually they were, relatively speaking, stable in terms of, uh, in terms of how much you could move around, in terms of the different parts of that. Whenever there were issues, they dealt with them. Um, so that's, that's kind of how the Romans were. I'll come back to those points. I haven't just mentioned those for no reason. Um, okay, so this, and then, as I said, Israel was just generally a place of unrest, and they even had 100 years where they managed to kick people out and sort of take back their own national identity, but then they lost it to the Romans. Anyway, all, all a big mess, a huge mess, and prophetic silence. And into this, Jesus comes. And Israel, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, they were looking for somebody to come and kick these guys out so they could get back to being Israel. They wanted to be themselves. They wanted to tuck themselves away, keep everybody else out. But God had a different intention. All along, his intention has been relationship with my people, relationship with everybody. So God wants to reconcile himself to people. That just means bring back together him and other people. And so we get this idea of Emmanuel. It's talked about in the prophetic books. That means God with us. God with us. And he, so God's actions are drastic. He is so uninterested, apparently, with dealing with the Romans. He wants to deal with our hearts and get close to us again. Um, and so he becomes human. And Jesus is God. He's given up his glory and he, he becomes a baby born into poverty um, and eventually he grows up and has an amazing life which you can read about in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, and this is where I get absolutely infuriated because I have to summarize it in about three bullet points. Um, but around the age of 35, uh, maybe a bit younger, um, after just a few years of ministry, sinless Jesus is tortured and then executed by the Romans. He's hung on a cross to die. His heel has been struck. Um, And then three days later, he rises from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And the serpent's head has been crushed. And um, a new covenant is established. At that point... Everything about the old covenant is no longer, no longer needed because actually God has a new covenant that says, I have paid the price that I can walk in relationship with all people. God's heart is, is kind of showing through here. He's just paid this enormous price. Um, 
So there you go, covenant and relationship, but also mission. So before Jesus ascends to heaven, he gives a mission. He restates the mission, and it's familiar. It says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's very close. Judea, a bit further afield. Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And actually, the intention, the heart is still, all people should be blessed through what I'm doing. His heart is still to go. Um, and actually, under a new covenant, you'd think that that should be uh, much easier to do because this new covenant is not so much about Israel as this sort of select group of people, but it's about the law of God being written on our hearts. And that's, that was God's intention. And that's, you may not know this, but actually, if you believe in Christ, you're part of that covenant. And the law of God is written on your heart. And actually, um, we are his as a result. Okay, so then Jesus ascends to heaven and um, we're left with a ragtag bunch of unlikely flawed people again. Um, Sounds familiar and yet there's something hugely different as you read Acts to when you read about the judges and the kings. These are people who are weak and yet they carry the Holy Spirit within them. They are literally walking around filled with God, walking with God every day. And, um, you know, they are hiding up in a room, and on the day of Pentecost, which is a, a Jewish feast, Israelites descend on Jerusalem from all around the empire. From all the places they've been scattered, they gather together. And... Um, In the early part of Acts, you can read how Peter preached to them, and around 3,000 people were baptized in one day. And then they were scattered back. And the seeds of this gospel, in one day, or over probably a few, few weeks, as it took them time to get back home, the gospel was suddenly scattered across the Middle East and Southern Europe. Um. And then the disciples start to do what Jesus had asked them to do, and they share the gospel, and we see incredible miracles, um, and eventually they get further and further afield, and we come across a guy called Saul, who starts off by persecuting Christians, but ends up being a missionary. He gets called by God, and um, yeah, most of the book of Acts is kind of talking about his journeys. He did four big journeys that took him all the way across um, well, up, up through uh, Judah and Samaria, that's the northern kingdom, through Syria, through Turkey, and then into southern Europe, all the way across to Rome. Um, it's interesting, though. There's just a few things I want to draw out. We're really running close on time, but I'm nearly there. Um, Paul, as he is renamed, um, his approach was to go into synagogues. So he'd go to a city, and what... There's this familiar thing, a synagogue, because people have been scattered by different empires and actually in different cities all the way across this region. There are people who understand the story. They understand where they've been. And actually, Paul goes into that context and he speaks to them there about something that actually he can connect in with. That's the first thing. So they're they're already dispersed around. But the second thing is that He speaks to everybody in Greek. And in fact, all of the New Testament that we have is or was written in Greek. 
Um, and that's as a result of the Greek Empire. You know, the whole region spoke Greek. It's absolutely amazing that he was able to communicate that clearly at that time to such a wide audience. And then the third thing is that he was able to travel so freely, to be so secure. And we actually read about the fact that he is a citizen of Rome, and therefore he is protected. And there are certain rules and laws that give him a platform to travel. Um, so it's absolutely amazing. Now, for me, that just blows my mind that through all of that, God would be using what looked like a real time of despair, and ultimately, I'm sure, was a time of despair. He was using that to create a platform that would allow the gospel to move and spread so quickly because his heart was always that all people would know him. Okay, so we're coming to the end. So um, within about 40 years of Jesus dying on the cross, um, the gospel has spread to thousands of people across thousands of miles. Um, at that time, that is absolutely remarkable. I know that would take about 40 minutes on Facebook, you might say, but actually, it's, you know, we just need to get our heads around the enormity of that, the way that God orchestrated that, the way that God um, made that happen is remarkable. And then um, for 2,000 years since the gospel has been advancing, there have been places where it seems like it's shrunk, and then there have always been places where it's been growing. And, um, I'd, you know, I'd love to spend another couple of mornings talking about church history, but that's, that's not the, the, the topic this morning. So the Bible kind of takes us up to this point, and, and we get, we're left with Paul um, in Rome, and then the rest, most of the rest of the New Testament is his letters to different churches or different individuals. Um, but then you get the, the book of Revelation at the end, which is really um, hard to talk about because I don't understand most of it. The, the truth is I could read, there's so much discussion about it that I can't even begin to tackle it now. But I think that there's one key thing that I just want to draw out, and that's right at the end of Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22. Um, God talks about ultimately what this means, ultimately how this ends. Um, and actually, Jesus' oh, Jesus' victory is final. He said on the cross, it's finished. I've done it all. Um, and the book of Revelation, which is, a, which is basically a vision, um, is a vision, the vision is of a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth. Again, there's all sorts of discussion about what that means. But what it does mean um, is summarized in, in Revelation 21. I just want to read this. Um, yeah. Behold, the dwelling place, place of God is with man, and he will live with them. Just a huge echo back to what his intention was all along. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. So, that's kind of how it's left at the end of Revelation. Um, we kind of have this promise of all that's happened, but all that's still to happen. 
Clearly, we don't live in that place. We don't live in a place without tears or death or pain. But that's where we're heading. Okay, so that's, the, that's kind of the story. I'm low on time, so actually I'm, I'm not going to get us to break out and sort of think about the main reflection we have. Um, but I will just share a few of my reflections, if that's all right. I'll try and do it quickly. Uh, the, the first reflection is that there is a big story. You know, scholars, you know, people who know a lot of things look at the Bible and they say, no, they're not related. That's just a load of classical writings chucked, chucked together and bundled up into a book. And yet for me, the thing that stirs my faith is to see the way that God has woven them together and God has moved throughout these thousands of years through 40 different authors across so many different books written in different ways. There is a way that you can see this all tying together. And actually, um, there's just a picture here. Uh, this is a diagram. These are actually all cross-references. So um, this, this, from the left hand there, that's Genesis. It goes all the way through the Bible. On the right hand there, that's Revelation. And this is just a picture of the way that different verses connect up. There are nearly 64,000 verses or cross-references in the Bible. And this is just them depicted. Um, and for me, I, that's not going to do it for everybody, but for me, that was, that was like, yeah, that's amazing. Um, this thing ties together. This isn't, you know, you don't just get things cutting off and then starting again. This thing ties together, and God's been doing something from beginning to end. So that's my first reflection. My second reflection is hope. You know, as I was putting this together, I was just reminded, there's so much hope. God is using so many messed up people to do so many amazing things. God is using so many messed up situations, and he's still at work. And I think we just need to have hope sometimes. We just need to be reminded that God's doing that. Um, yeah, that, that was just a big thing for me. And I, and I guess the reason I hope is because, um, actually, I think it shows that God has done everything possible to, to live in relationship with us, to know us. All along, that's been his heart. Um, and then, ultimately, he stepped in and became flesh. Um, so, yeah, it just strikes me. I just can't get away from the fact that that is amazing what God has done. Um, and we should live in that relationship, and we should value that. I think it's so easy to just be pulled off to other things. Um, but also, just the, the final point is, is, actually, he's done everything to live in relationship with everybody, and that his mission has always been that his kingdom should be growing and should reach every part of the world. So, um, yeah, that mission doesn't change and hasn't changed. So those are my main reflections. Um, just a few things that we can do about it. Two things which are quite practical. Um, Alistair, is, Alistair Cuttridge is coming. It's now the week after that, so sort of the weekend overlapping March and April, I guess. Um, so starting the 22nd of March, Alistair will come and he'll delve a lot deeper um, and we'll sort of go through that story in a lot more detail. Um, go along to that. Just dig in again and, and just have a different perspective again will just help you as you un unpack this. The second thing is read your Bible. Um, 
there are so many ways to read your Bible. I'm just going through uh, the Read Scripture app, um, which has been great. There are loads of videos embedded with it to help you understand the context of the book you're in so you don't get lost. Um, really good. Just, just get into your Bible and ask other people to get into their Bibles as well and just keep each other accountable. So those are two practical things. The final thing is really impractical. It's a really big ask. But I think the thing that we can do is hope. And we can live in hope. And that should affect our relationships. It should affect everything we do. It doesn't make everything rosy. But it says, actually, I have hope because God is here. He's in me. And he's doing a great thing. So as, as you can tell, the kids are in. I've clearly overrun. Um, and, yeah. Well, wasn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. Sort of, I know it was sort of to go right from the very start to right to the very end in that amount of time. But I think he did an absolutely amazing job. Um, well, certainly, Graham, we'll, we'll try and sort of get that sort of PowerPoint put on the website. Is that possible? Yeah, I think, yeah, put that on there sort of, because I think that's something that we can use again and again, certainly. Yeah, um, I'm going to send around, well, I'll ask Alison to send around um, that, those slides, but also a couple of useful links, which will just give you like snapshots to refer to. Yeah, I think that's certainly very, very helpful, certainly as we sort of focus this year going through and reading different parts of uh, Scripture. I would also say that the Read Scripture app is uh, really, really helpful in our LTG. We use it whenever we come up with uh, whatever book we're going to read. We sort of watch the video first, and it gives us a great context to read for it. So uh, let's thank uh, Ben once again, because he's done an amazing job.